they all bring different things to the table. Make sure that they know what's going on at each step of the process. And it's all about the first impressions. Do you want to be the absolute best candidate for a job you'll love in a career with balance? Veteran leadership career catalyst Jonathan Flax is teaming up with leading executive search professionals to provide you with cutting-edge career transition strategies. Welcome to Career Transition Experts. And now, here's your host, Jonathan Flax. What a treat we have for you today. Straight from the Stowe, Vermont area, we have Lynette Vallecillo, who is a fascinating recruiter with a a breadth of experience. She's she's recruited for companies in software, uh, manufacturing and automation, healthcare, extraordinary insights on a wide range of you know what's similar and different amongst many industries. So welcome to the program, Lynette. Thanks for being here. And if you could just give a little preview of if someone listens to this episode, what are they going to walk away with? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. I know that briefly... You know, the job search is a process. It's a long process that can be very frustrating to a lot of people. It's not a place that we want to find ourselves on a regular basis, right? And so it can be a little bit intimidating and overwhelming. And so I just think it's important for people to know that it's not just them that are going through this challenge, that it is a tough process. And it is a full-time job looking for, you know, a career change or a career transition. Mm. Okay. So we're going to help people see the forest for the trees and also to be sensitive to the tough process for the hiring managers as well. Is that part of our conversation today? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. All right. So from your point of view, what is it that has people get most frustrated or overwhelmed by the job search process? What have you seen candidates say? Yeah, from a candidate perspective, I think it's the lack of responsiveness that they receive once they submit their resume. So candidates feel and, you know, rightfully that they keep applying to different positions. They feel they have the skills. And other than an automated message, they seem to, and sometimes they don't even get an automated message. So they just don't get any response and don't really understand where they stand in the process and why they weren't selected. And so after you've been through this, you know, a number of times, maybe sent out, you know, 10, 15, 20 applications uh, or filled out the applications, sent your resume, it can get a little bit frustrating for them. And, and it's tough, you know, it's tough. Yeah. And what do you find helps when you're dealing? You know, I know when a recruiter is representing a company, you're still every recruiter I speak to seems to also really care about candidates. How do you help them uh, streamline that process or or deal with it in a way that's uh, more empowered? Right. Well, I mean, you know, that's a really good question. I try to be very transparent in dealing with my candidates and with my hiring manager. So in my day to day business, I. I'm very direct in my communication. I'm also, you know, I'm empathetic to, you know, their situation and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. So even if I don't have an opportunity that could be a fit for them, or if they're not a fit for the role that they've applied in, I try to give them some advice, coaching, and guidance on maybe some different tactics or strategies that they could follow, maybe some tweaks that they can make to their resume, their LinkedIn profile cover letters, try to really understand where the source of frustration lies Mm. and how we can, how I can help them with that. Mm. 
Mm. And I think sometimes just listening to candidates can be very helpful. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then giving them some pointers and guiding them and letting them know that I'm open to further conversations if they need it. Also, you know, if I'm working for a customer as a contractor, so say I'm working at a client site, they might not be a fit for one role, but they could potentially be a fit for a different role within the organization. So I try not to just look at them for that one particular role, but open up, you know, their profile to other possibilities. Yeah. I'll come back to what some of those suggestions on resume and cover letter and all that. Maybe there's a unique nugget you keep seeing that makes a difference. But from the standpoint of working with your clients, what do you find hiring this, uh, managers, decision makers resonate with, particularly in working with you? What is something that you say and deliver that makes it what seems to be a difference that they choose you to work with instead of another recruiter? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think that, you know, I've been recruiting for a long time and I have recruited in different capacities. I've recruited at non-exempt for non-exempt roles, high volume recruiting, really cut my teeth in technology, staffing professional roles, worked in a variety of different industries. So I feel like I have a really good understanding of best practices and the full life cycle, full recruitment life cycle. So I think I can I'm not just a recruiter, I'm a coach and a mentor as to how we can do things better to improve efficiencies, even in the interview process as we move candidates along. Well, great. What's an example? You don't have to name a client, of course, protect their confidentiality, but but a specific example of where you saw hiring process may have had some inefficiencies or might have some bumps in it and something you did or suggested in that process that that worked for the client as well as the, the candidate pro like the the matchmaking process. You have like yeah. a specific example? A specific example. I think a lot of times, you know, what I find, and th- this has been on more than one occasion, a real uh disjointed interview process, a spread out interview process, an interview process that maybe is too lengthy in scope. And it's something that we we need to tweak to mm-hmm. kind of move candidates along faster in a job mm-hmm. market that's very tight, where the candidates are, you know, companies are competing for, you know, the same talent. So yeah. it's important that we have a, a streamlined and efficient process. And I find a lot of times that, you know, can't sometimes managers, if they're not educated, right, and what's going on in the market, because it's not their full-time job. I mean, their full-time job is to market, to sell. Yeah. to, you know, whatever, whatever it might be that their career is. So I think it's up to us to really kind of help guide that process along. Yeah. I don't think, except for candidates who also have been hiring managers, recognize, and even if they're in that role, I don't always remember how difficult it is, uh, how much it takes to go through the hiring process. But I, I think so far from the people I've spoken to, no, no one really likes it very much because you have to reject all but one. So, you know, when someone says, we'll let you know by the end of next week, and then they delay that follow-up interview for three or four weeks, they can really right. easily lose candidate. Have you explored any strategies to get a hiring team to recognize that when there's a candidate on the table, it's as important to make the time for that candidate 
as it is anything else in their list of priorities. No, sure. And I mean, I stay very engaged with my hiring managers, just like I do with my candidates. So it's not, I don't turn a candidate over and, and you know, expect that they're going to move the candidate along quickly. So again, this is where the coaching comes in and the guidance, you know, with the hiring process. I, I found it, you know, throughout the years that it just works really well. And I find that hiring managers are very grateful for it. So it might be something that, you know, recruiters can be doing on their own to help move their process and get their business partners, their hiring managers to, you know, be more responsive and to the candidates. But usually, you know, if a candidate's rejected, I feel like that relationship really should be managed by the recruiter, both the candidates that they introduce into the process and the hiring managers that they're supporting. Mm -hmm. So the, the candidate really should have that one person to follow up with them and know I can go to Lynette and then Lynette knows how to support me and what I need. And for the candidate, I provide the feedback. I make sure that they know what's going on at each step of the process. And I don't leave them hanging wondering, you know, why haven't I heard from them in a week or two? I stay in touch with them on a frequent basis. Yeah. We jokingly tell clients that they're going to hear the words, we'll let you know by the end of next week. And that never comes to pass, unfortunately. When is it really too slow between like a second interview and a third interview or a screening interview and a second interview or a second interview to a final decision-making interview? Is is two weeks pretty much the max a company should delay in between those meetings or is there or is even that too long yeah i mean i think it depends on the role and it also depends on the candidate because the candidate also i mean if there's somebody that's just seeking to make a change from their current position they already have responsibilities and obligations on their end so we have to really try to meet meet halfway and coordinate but there's always you know little things that we can do you know if it's somebody that's just you know interviewing because they were riffed they were part of a or and so they're interviewing with various companies. Well, maybe you know, interview number two is traveling and they can't meet with him until a week or two. So we try to find somebody to fill in the blanks, you know, mm-hmm. fill in the time gaps. Is there anything interesting as an example either you or a candidate did to help accelerate that process? You know, you can't control the schedules of traveling executives, but Sometimes you can be higher up in their priorities. Anything clever you would recommend people do as a way to stir up that follow-up interview, that next appointment? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, since the pandemic, we've all gotten used to being on Zoom or whatever type of technology, equivalent technology you use. And I feel at this point, People are very comfortable, you know, doing a Zoom interview. So, I mean, I could have a candidate in Asia Pacific traveling for business. And if they're very interested in the role, they'll make the time to meet with the hiring manager via a Teams call and the hiring manager also. So we've got some key positions where I think we we try to work and do the best. And sometimes people need prompting, which is where I come in to try to push the process along and uh, come up with ideas and things that, you know, that might be able to to work to fill in that in person if that's what they're looking for. Really great, really great. Back to the candidates, as we said earlier, there's some candidates that find the situation frustrating, but some of that is because they might be doing something wrong in terms of getting the proper attention. What's an example of something you've helped either a candidate do or that you frequently find is like a, a pearl of wisdom or a specific tweak that people can do in this approach 
to working with recruiters or just applying online or just how, how they're presenting themselves in the process, that if they would learn this piece of nut insight and practice it, it would make a big difference. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's hard to say any one thing because everybody's different mm-hmm. and we all bring different things to the table. So, you know, and and we're all at, you know, different levels of our career. So somebody, you know, with new to the, say, the job market, you know, might have typos or grammatical errors on their resume, which to me is a big no-no. And Mm -hmm. there should be no reason for that, right, in Mm -hmm. this day and age. So, you know, I feel like that's something that, you know, that you can, for me, I might not even interview the person if they have a typo or grammatical error on their resume. You can make a mistake. I I tell new clients that you can make a mistake maybe on an email here and there, but your resume is like a representation of yourself. There's no reason not to have like our process. We have a proofreader independent of our company to bring fresh eyes, making sure punctuation, spelling and grammar are all accurate. And we hear from recruiters like yourself that that's, that really is important. Like you wouldn't drive a car off the lot if it had a scratch in it. A little right. scratch. You'd have that buffed out before you drove that car off the lot. And it's all about the first impressions, you know, where, yeah. and that is your first impression. But I think a lot too, if you talk to a candidate, you kind of understand where their shortfalls might be or what we could do to, to help improve. And, and some people come to the table uh, very clear on the type of help that they need and the type of guidance that they could really use. And so that, that also, that helps. But I think it's a process of discovery uh, when you're talking to candidates and hiring managers alike. You tend to learn a lot about them and, you know, what they look for, how how they're feeling, all of those things come into play. Good. You know, uh, similarly, I often ask, what's the stupidest thing you've seen a smart person do? And again, you don't have to name them if you want to answer that question. Yeah, now, you know, I, I remember one right during the pandemic, you know, and this again goes to, you know, working with the video interviewing a technology. But I think sometimes people just get they too comfortable. And I don't, I had a candidate take an interview from his bed. So, I mean, you yeah. could tell he was leaning up in bed and not with me, with the hiring manager yeah. who was a vice president level. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, that, that those are some of the things that I see candidates do. I've had candidates come to interview uh, like entry-level candidates with, with a parent. Just really haven't had, you know, I mean, people just do things that sometimes just surprise you and you're like you, you really why show yeah. up in, in workout clothes and then change in the lobby of the office building you know to go in for the interview <laughs> there's some common sense that's not always that common and exactly. even in COVID, if you have dogs barking or the bedroom's the quietest place in the room there's still a way to set yourself up to look professional Right. Or a TV in the background, you know, things that, but, but these are things, I mean, usually, I mean, I, I do talk to candidates before they go to an interview and these are just basic things that, you know, I cover with them, but some of them like taking an interview, I, from, from the bed was just like, what, why do you think that's a good idea? Yeah. Anyone listening, I'm sure most of you would never do dream of it, but if you ever start to get tempted to get a little lazy in terms of your Zoom background, you know, get prepared, get something set up in advance. At the very least, you can set up a virtual background on Zoom 
And you could even set up like a placard, like your name and, a, and your title and a nice looking background. I, I have a client who's done that for herself, for all her Zoom calls. She has what looks like uh, almost a newsroom, you know, like she really set up a very professional virtual background. Yeah. Really great. You come across great on Zoom and you press the uh, blur the background. I recognize that that also can be effective. People people recognize that the background is not the point. So blur the background, that's another option, right? No, but absolutely. sitting up Just... being attentive is really important. Yeah, and your appearance, first impressions again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, last couple of questions. You work with people nationally. Uh, you even said something about Asia. So you work with people globally and you're geographically in one of my place, favorite places in the world, the mountains of Vermont. You ever get any interesting comments about uh, your location there at Stowe? Only that, you know, I love Vermont. How lucky you are. Yeah. yeah. People love it up here and they love to visit. They've heard about it or, or if not, I've heard about Stowe. It's beautiful. Yeah. Right. As a musician, I like to ask favorite artist, favorite band, favorite orchestra or composer. You know, I I kind of like a little bit of everything. You know, I gravitate uh, being Hispanic. I like Latin music. I also like, you know, 70s rock. <laughs> I like some, you know, new music, but I like, uh, you know, I like a little bit of everything. Good. I think you'll like, uh, I'll send you a link to my Yacht Rock Band's the new uh, demo video. Oh, we're absolutely. Called, called That'd be fantastic. Breakwater, break and we're promoting ourselves as classic Yacht Rock. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> a sailor. And then any causes in particular you'd like to share, a nonprofit or philanthropy you care about? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of organizations. Ones that I, one that I worked with, Horizons for Homeless Children. They're out of Massachusetts. And so they help, you know, kids who are homeless with their parents. You know, I participated as a, a playtime activity leader, just kind of helping them with social, right. cognitive, intellectual abilities. And the other one is Food for the Poor. And that, again, is helping children in impoverished countries get the educational and you know support that they need to help their development bless your heart that's wonderful any insights or questions i should have asked or insights you'd like to share as we wrap up i don't think so i mean i think i'm always available to answer questions if you know anybody you know wants to reach out for anything but i i feel like you know, it's, it's the process is different for everybody. Do, do The only thing in closing, I would say, is do your research for candidates. You know, when you're going to meet with a new company, do your research about the organization and find out about any changes. Research the hiring manager you're going to be interviewing with. Go on LinkedIn. It's very easy nowadays to take a look at their background and understand a little bit about where they came from. And you might find that you know somebody in common, but, you know, take the time to do your homework before you go to the interview. Yeah, it's really important. And that particular point of finding commonality, uh, people are looking at a range of qualified people, but they tend to hire the person that makes a connection. And those points of commonality can often be a discussion that creates personal connection. No, uh, absolutely. Awesome. Fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Lynette. We'll put your contact information in the show notes. I appreciate you very much. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was great to talk with you. Thank you very much for listening to the Career Transition Experts. We hope you got something of value and would love to hear from you on what you did learn and how this episode made a difference. If you'd like to contact or reach our guests, take a look at the show notes and you can also find there a link where we will send you a free copy of our resume preparation checklist. 
If there's anything we can do to help you fulfill your vision and make that transition smoothly, contact us. We are here for you. Thanks again for listening. Hope to see you again soon. Bye for now.